G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. So let me properly introduce our guests. Firstly, uh, Amir Safadi is with us. Amir was born in Jerusalem and served in Israel's Defence Force as the Deputy Governor of Jericho. Following his military service, Amir studied at Israel's School of Tourism at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and went on to work as a tour guide for a local operator and later became the CEO. Subsequently, he founded and is the president of a ministry called Behold Israel, whose aim is to provide reliable and accurate reporting on developments in Israel and the region. Amir Safadi, welcome to 2020 and to Australia. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here and uh, I'm excited. It's so good to have you with us today. And with him is Pastor Barry Stagner. Now, Pastor Barry was not born in Jerusalem, (laughs) uh, which is a bit of a claim to fame, I've got to say. But uh, you are from the USA and the senior pastor at Calvary Central in Orange County, California. Welcome, Barry. Thank you. Good to be here. So good to have you both with us. And uh, looking forward to hearing uh, a bit of your story, but also to answer questions. And as mentioned, we will be opening the talkback lines in the next few minutes to uh, take your calls and your questions today. Uh, for both Barry and Amir. Uh, Amir, let's just uh, reflect a little bit on your life story. I mean, I just gave a bit of a brief snapshot there, but uh, quite an amazing, as mentioned, I mean, just saying you were born in Jerusalem for starters, that's a a huge conversation right there. Uh, Part of the Defence Force, which is actually not unique, because obviously all Israelis go into the Defence Force um, automatically, but the Deputy Governor of Jericho, that's a, a bit of a claim to fame. That was uh, must have been an amazing opportunity for you. Yeah, and I was the last uh, one before Israel turned Jericho into the hands of the Palestinian Authority. I was o- also overseeing that operation uh, with the Palestinian Authority. So, yeah, it, these were very historic days in 1993 mm. into 1994. Oslo Accord, which, uh, I mean, I thought then was a disaster, and of course years later was proved to be one. But uh, yes, um, it was my privilege. It's always my privilege to serve my country, whether it's on uniforms or, you know, traveling around the world. But um, yeah, I'm the first generation of my family to be born in the country after 2000 years. And, uh, you know, my my parents uh, both were not born in Israel. They were born on the way to Israel, my mom at least. And my father made it uh, to Israel when he was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, we are the first generation back in the land. And um, that's that's exciting. These Mm. are prophecies being fulfilled. That's right. That's exactly, that's a huge thing, isn't it? The, the influx of, uh, of Jews back into the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And now, how did you and Barry connect? Because obviously you're from Israel. Barry, you're uh, from California in the USA, basically the other sides of the world. So how did you connect with Amir? Well, we had a common friend that uh, had invited both of us to speak at a conference in the state of Ohio in the city of Cincinnati. And it was kind of funny for, from my perspective because the guy that invited us, I'd known for like 30 years. He was a longtime friend. We ministered together at another church, and uh, he asked me if I would come do a, a prophecy conference. I said, sure. I didn't know there was another speaker until like two weeks <laughs> okay. beforehand. 
So here I am preparing for a whole day's worth of teaching, and two weeks beforehand he says, oh, and by the way, the other speaker is Amir Sarfati. Uh, so we, I think, just kind of did the David and Jonathan thing immediately. Kindred spirits, uh, we both think the same way. Uh, we both, oddly enough, we laugh at the same things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, friendship was established, and we've been literally touring the world ever since then. That's fantastic. Now, just uh, before you came into the studio, I was having a quick chat and mentioned, because obviously being from Orange County, I immediately think of uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, because he's uh, from the same part of the world. We hear him every day here on Vision with a New Beginning, but uh, it turns out you actually were a part of his church for a quite a while. I was there for 11 years. I uh, was involved in multiple ministries. My primary ministry was I was the pastor for the college and career ministry mm. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. And, of course, at a church like Harvest, there's a lot of young people. So yeah. We had a wonderful time. It was a very difficult thing to uh, to leave and answer what God had called me to do and uh, to plant the church elsewhere. Mm. Uh, it was a wonderful time uh, in our ministry lives. We learned a lot there. And, uh, yeah, we, we spent a good portion of our young adult life there. Fantastic. Uh, learning how to serve the Lord. That is so good. Now, Amir, you've been quoted as saying Israelis are losing hope as Israel plunges into mass formation psychosis. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a pretty heavy quote. Why are your countrymen losing hope, first of all? And, and secondly, what does mass formation psychosis look like? Well, mass formation psychosis is basically when the media is bombarding you with false information with a hidden agenda. Um most of the outlets, media outlets in Israel are, are actually owned by very powerful people who has an agenda to keep the power in their hands and, and they are protected by the judiciary system in Israel. That branch is all packed with people that protect those. And therefore, uh, when finally Israelis voted a conservative government that has a chance to uh, you know, make sure that the, the judiciary branch will be uh, more diverse and also represent other parts of the country, they do not like that because that will make sure that that will ensure their loss of power. And so they're using the powerful media as a way to uh, create an artificial crisis that uh, causes a lot of people anxiety. I mean, they portray the situation as if Israel is losing um, its power, economic power, that the military is falling apart. That, and all of these false things are coming to the he- the ears uh, of our enemies around us that are becoming mm. bolder and bolder. Yeah, right. And even though it's not the, the case on the ground, all it takes in the Middle East is the you know image of being uh, weak, uh, and then you're going to be attacked. So Israelis are watching two things: they're watching that that you know deception on one hand, but on the other hand, they're watching how our surroundings is buying into it. And so this is very very desperate situation because mm. you know you're strong, but your enemies think you are weak, and your media is telling you that you're weak. So <laughs> yeah. this is not easy to deal with. And unless you are standing with your two feet on your ground and you know what you're talking about and you don't let, uh, uh, you know, all these uh, lies and deception, uh, you know, sway you, then you will be easily pl- plunging into uh, anxiety and fear and, and hopelessness. And that's what I see among my people. Mm. And it's very, very 
sad to see. Israel has never been in a situation like that since it was born in 1948. And, uh, we, and, and, and it got to the point where uh, the, the country is completely divided between people who think that we did it. Israel is the fruit of the labor of men, whereas the other part says God did it. Israel is actually the fruit of God's prophetic promises to the nation, uh, regardless of who we are. So you see the pol- polarization. You see it's becoming more extreme, a little bit violent at, at times. And uh, these are times that no country wants to find itself in. Mm, yeah, so true. It's interesting as you say that I'm reflecting on uh, the you know, book of Joshua yes. and how it's almost was the flip side where the, yeah, the people of Israel were feeling weak. I mean, they sort of talked themselves as being like grasshoppers. And yet, as, they, as the spies went into Jericho, you know, the second time around, they were told, we're all afraid of you. Like, we know what your Absolutely. God is capable of doing. We're all just waiting for you to come and wipe us out. So it was almost the exact opposite of that, wasn't it? You know, Absolutely. That they, they didn't realize, you know, the power that they had in God. Exactly. I mean, and if you really think about it, if there is one step before fall is pride. Mm. Uh, and that's what I see in the camp of the liberal left right now. They're, they claim that they brought the country to where it is. They established the country. They they are behind a strong economy. And so any any attempt to make them weak will make the country fall apart. There is nothing that is being uh, attributed to God in this whole story. And that's that's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I, I'm reminded of the Tower of Babel and the people come together and says, let's make a name to ourselves. Uh, you know, this is not Israel without God has no reason or justification to exist uh, at the place where we are right now. Mm. If the, if it's not because of God and for God and in, 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 in his promises, that's it. We wouldn't even be here. Mm. I mean, this is a nation that is a token and a, a picture of the faithfulness of God. And and if you come against that nation, you come against God's God's, you know, the apple of his eye. Mm. I mean, this is it's very, very uh, uh you know uh, serious. I mean God says don't mess up with them. And so to me to see them not giving regard to God and them thinking that it's all by their own strength and them kicking God out of the equation, it breaks my heart. Now, it's one thing to know that non-believers kick God out. I mean, I don't expect much from non-believers. I mean, I'm thinking about how blind can people be when they don't have the revelation of God. But it's another thing, and what breaks my heart even more is to see believers in Israel that are citing with those liberal left, you know, people thinking, oh, they are for human rights, that they will protect us. They will never protect you. Mm. The minute they will hear what you think about all the issues on the table, such as family and marriage and abortion, all of these things, the minute they will hear what you think and what you believe in, they'll kick you out immediately. They'll eat you alive. So I'm, I'm just thinking the psychosis that I see, unfortunately, is not only among you know, secular Israelis. It's also among believers. And that breaks my heart even more. I will take a call from Alex in a moment. But just before we do, Amir, I wanted to mention, uh, we've got a number of your books that are available through uh, Vision's uh, online store. You can find them at vision.org.au. 
Uh, just click the shop icon there and you'll be able to search for Amir's uh, resources. But you've got a couple of new books coming out. I know one that's uh, releasing just in the next few weeks. Correct. And, uh, you know, what? one of the things that uh, I was praying about, it, God give me good and, I guess, uh, uh, you know, creative ways to reach the lost. And because um, I have a lot of knowledge on current events and military issues in Israel, and, and a lot of people are interested in those things, espionage and, you know, military operations and clandestine uh, operations. And, and it seems like uh, that, that, I thought, it's a great way to get into um, uh, people's uh, uh, life, uh, show them what's going on in the world, and then tie it to end-time Bible prophecy and to the gospel. And so I began a series of, of novels, of fiction novels, that will eventually, by the time we're concluding, it, they will depict every one of the part of the uh, countries that will participate in the Ezekiel 38 war of Gog and Magog. And what I want is to make people understand uh, the background to all of that, and that it's not just overnight something happens. These things we can already see be beginning to form, uh, to form and shape in front of us. And so, I, I wrote a book about the Arabian uh, Peninsula. I wrote a book about Iran, and the coming book is now about Russia mm. and its collaboration with Iran in Syria. And it's really, really a great thriller with a a, a wonderful way to present the gospel. And this is for for the most part, for non-believers. That's the That's thing, awesome. you know. And so uh, out of the far north, I took it from a verse from Ezekiel 38, out of the far north. And uh, if you want to know more about it, it's just outofthefarnorth.com. That's mm -hmm. it. Great. Well, certainly worth looking into that one. And obviously Russia, very uh, topical at the moment. Absolutely. So it's something that's uh, working in perfectly with that. Mm -hmm. As mentioned, our talkback lines are open. 1-800-316-316 is the number to call through. If you've got a question, uh, for Amir Safadi or for Pastor Barry Stagner today. And Alex has given us a call from Melbourne. Good morning, Alex. What's your question? Uh, good morning, Robbo. Yes, uh, uh, for Amir, I was just wondering where uh, the name Jerusalem uh, first first was uh, given. Uh, I, I know that uh, Melchizedek, the uh, high priest, the, uh, the high priest, uh, uh, the priest of the Most High God, and also the King of uh, Salem, but the actual name Jerusalem. I just wonder where that was established, or you know, mm -hmm. that in the. That's all. I wanted yeah, to know. good yeah. question. So yes, obviously Salem is mentioned there in that uh, story in Genesis. But uh, how did Jerusalem come about? Well, it? Obviously, only later on when King David took it. It has several names, by the way, and uh, where the city basically started, uh, it was you know known as where the city of David is. I mean, David took it, it was uh, called Yevus also, and then it became Jerusalem, and uh, Solomon made it bigger and all of that. But but it's not, before David, it wasn't a city that was prominent among the, the it wasn't even part of the, prop, the, the, the country that the tribes of Israel acquired. I mean, it was, it belonged to them, but they never had it. And the best way for David to reunite all the tribes uh, was not to take already a city that is within a, a, any specific tribe's territory, but to take that one, which already had been identified a thousand years earlier by God for Abraham. Mm. 
as he brought Isaac to be sacrificed on that mountain. So, yeah, we know about this name only from the time of David and on, but um, God had his, his, his plans and his hand on that place already when the time of Abraham. Uh, so it's, it's uh, way more than 3,000 yeah. years. But 3,000 years, it's been the capital mm-hmm. of Israel. Great. Well, thanks, to Alex, for your question. A good one to start today. Uh, Deb's given us a call as well in Casino. Good morning, Deb. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. What's your question um, for Amir? My question is that um, is it true that the government of Australia signed a agreement with Palestine that Israel is an occupied state? No. Uh, the what what the Australian government is doing is they are um, refuting the uh, the. Israeli notion that Judea and Samaria are integral part of Israel, and that's what they call an occupied territory. They uh, okay. they are actually uh, you know pushing the agenda of two states, pushing the agenda of a sovereign Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria. Something that uh, President Trump uh, uh, brought an end to because of this nonsense that is going on. Um, and now uh, the progressive liberal government of Australia is uh, reviving. Uh, your former prime minister was aligned with uh, the fact that, you know, we need to move on from that idea. But this government is pushing this idea again. And let me tell you, biblically, I don't see it happening. Uh, you know, Israel has most of the enemies are from the outside and uh, the big wars of Israel are going to be from big countries that are going to attack it from the outside. And uh, I do not see a Palestinian sovereign state in the Bible. So I'm not worried about it, even okay. if the Australian government wants it. Yeah, interesting. Well, thank you, Deb, for your question. You can uh, call through with a question as well, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. And uh, just to pick up on that, and you've mentioned a couple of times about you know the enemies who are you know, I guess opposed to Israel, and I guess for the Aussie context, Israel is the size of about a third of Tasmania, so it's a tiny little nation. It's just you know in the middle there in the Middle East, there's all these nations surrounding it that are all you know vehemently opposed to uh, the nation being there, and yet as you've alluded to, Amir, like God has miraculously protected Israel yes. for millennia. Indeed, and. Uh it's very interesting because Psalm 83 described what happened in 1948-1967 when the first tier of nations around us, those that borders with Israel, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt, they tried to attack and cut us off from being a nation that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. But God intervened and they were defeated and they've learned their lesson. And the next wave, the next big war is not going to be countries that borders with us. The Gog and Magog of Ezekiel is countries that are what I call the second tier. Uh, both Iran and Turkey, Libya, Sudan, and Russia do not have borders with Israel. Mm. And so now it's their turn to try and do that. Yeah. Well, you can call through the question as well on one 316 We've had a call from Margaret this morning. Margaret, what's your question? Yes, I would like to... I have a bit of discussion. Sorry, I'm I'm baking. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to... Yeah, I would like to ask a few questions and comment on his words. All right, well, just before you do, Margaret, can I get you to turn your radio down in the background there and uh, we'll get you... We'll come back to you with your question in just a moment, okay? So turn the radio down 
and uh, we'll come back and answer that question in, in just a tick. But uh, before we do that, uh, let's go to Yvonne in Victor Harbour in South Australia. Good morning, Yvonne. How are you? Um, good, thank you. That is good. What's your question for Amir? Um, firstly, I'd like to say, Amir, I follow you on the internet and you're fantastic. <laughs> Same with Barry. Um, but I, my question is, um, just to help me understand the parable of the fig tree and that generation um, and how long is a generation? Yes. Okay, yeah, great. Well, you know, the parable of the fig tree obviously speaks of something else. The fig tree is a parable. And so if you go back to the Old Testament, to the minor prophets, you see that they always described Israel's national existence as the fig tree. And when when Jesus talked about the fig tree uh, and he, you know, rebuked that fig tree, it was obviously eventually uh, was manifested in the loss of control over the land and sovereignty for nearly 2,000 years. And then when he talked about the signs of the end, he talked about the fact that the fig tree will come back to life. And uh, for Christians, we need to understand Israel is being described in the Bible in two, three different types of trees, the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine. And uh, Christians, uh, once they believe in the God of Israel, Messiah of Israel, and the scriptures that were were provided by the people of Israel, that is making Christians grafted into the olive tree and grafted into the vine. But Christians can never be grafted into the fig tree because the fig tree is the national privilege of Israel, but Christians can see the fig tree. Mm. And that's what Jesus said. When you see the fig tree coming back to life, that's when you know the summer is near. So one of the most, if not the most important end-time sign that we are a terminal generation, last generation before the rapture, is, of course, the return of the Jews back to their land, the fig tree coming back mm. to life. Israel is, is, is back in a country, and Jerusalem is back in our hands. That's what we see. That's the fulfillment of the fig tree. And as you said earlier, that was uh, you, you've actually witnessed that within your own family, with your mum and dad both coming yeah. back into country. Uh, Pastor Barry. Yeah, there's an interesting element about that statement. Uh, most of the time, people who teach it, teach it from Matthew or Luke. Uh, where the fig tree statement is made, but there's a piece of information given in Mark's gospel that is exclusive to that gospel, and that is there's a chronology given. And what we're told through Mark's gospel is the day that the fruitless fig tree was encountered was the day after the triumphal entry. And then Mark's gospel says, and the next day they encountered the tree again. Mm -hmm. And that's when they observed that it was dried up from the roots, speaking of the diaspora. And then we're told the next day, Jesus taught the Olivet Discourse. Mm. So we have during the Passion Week a three-day sequence of an encounter with the fig tree, which therefore gives us the context and the interpretation because most scholars would agree that the fruitless fig tree is representative of unbelieving Israel. So if Jesus is the teacher and the disciples are the audience and the fig tree is the illustration, that it ha- and it's taught on three sequential days, then it has to mean the same thing on all three days. Mm. So if the fig tree on Monday of the Passion Week represented unbelieving Israel, then on Tuesday it has to represent unbelieving Israel, and then on Wednesday when he taught the Olivet Discourse, it has to represent unbelieving Israel. So the fig tree without question represents the rebirth of the nation of Israel. He talks about when you see it budding and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. And uh, Amir was talking earlier, and I, I couldn't help but think when the, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening in the international community, who's saying what about supposed occupied territories. The Bible says in Amos chapter 9, verse 15, 
God said, I will plant them in their land. And when I plant them in their land, they will never be uprooted again. So the United Nothing or the UN can say what they want. Every country around the world can, you know, tell Israel what to do. But God, who brought them back into the land, said, I will watch over them as long as they're there. And nobody is going to uproot them again. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you again, Yvonne, for your question. Margaret, thank you so much for your patience. Uh, What is your question for Amir and Barry? Yes, um, look, I I brought up as a Catholic most of my life, and then I become born-again Christian, and I studied the Bible, and I was always questioning God. And uh, God used to give me the uh, revelation of the truth. My question is, we all believe as a Christian that God, on Mount of Nebo, uh, he gave them the land, and he told them to go and uh, to... To, to the promised land, he 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 actually promised them uh, the land, and they went by war because that's how it started. But when they went there, we know that he want they want to go back to their uh, native uh, land. But God didn't he didn't keep telling them to fight. God was with them all the way through. He wants them to be right in His eyes. So they can be an example to the whole, to whole nations. Uh, when we talk about, uh, you know, our enemies and, and this and that, God is a love. God is not talking about enemies. God is not talking about land and properties and fighting and things. God wants our hearts as a pure hearts towards him in a relationship with him. Even it's written in the uh, Bible that he's telling, he's telling, don't believe those uh, prophets that they tell you, this is the land yours, go fight, do this, this is the land. God never, he said, don't be deceived. I need your hearts towards me. God is love. God doesn't believe in killing and murdering and possessing lands that's been uh, 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 occupied. Mm, okay, so God, what you're saying, Margaret, is that it's more of a, a, a symbolic thing that God's wanting us to to be people of love, uh, but not people of war. How would you respond to that, Amir? Uh, absolutely. God is love. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't negate the fact that God has a plan for Israel as a nation, which he very eloquently described in Ezekiel chapter 37 and in chapter 36, in, and in, in its physical nation that he said that he's physically bringing back to the land of Israel, not to any other land. Mm. So it's that does not negate the fact that God still wants them to come to him. And the Bible is in Hosea chapter 5 verse 15 says, I will go again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. In in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. The Bible is not telling us that there is any salvation in any other way but through you know Jesus. Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. But again, there is a detailed plan of God for the nation of Israel. There is also a prophetic word regarding future wars that will come and how God will win that war for Israel. And these are things that, you know, will take place. The entire book of Revelation is speaking of lots of wars, lots of killing, lots of death. And is it something God wants? No, but God will judge eventually the world. In the book of uh, Ezekiel, God says, I do not seek the uh, the death of the unrighteous, but to him, for him to come to, uh, you know, repentance, of course. But again, 
judgment is impending, impending. And we, we know that because Jonah said that. We know that because the heralding angel, even in Revelation, is going to tell the whole world judgment is coming and the Lord is coming back, the second coming, to judge the world, not to save. This. To save the world was the first coming. Mm. To judge the unbelieving world is the second coming. And so I would say the message of love is a it's, it's great message, but there's also reality where we know things must happen according to the Word of God as he spoke through the prophets. So, I mean, I'm not uh, saying, you know, go and kill people. Not, not at all. In fact, the only way for us as believers to do is to preach the gospel and make sure people are getting saved. But that doesn't negate the fact that we know that the Lord revealed through his prophets what is going to happen. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, he said in Isaiah 46, verses 9 10. So God declares the end. God is telling us what is going to happen. And God is doing that in order for us to be prepared. So, again, these are two different things. And uh, it's not like, uh, you know, since Jesus came, the world is now a, a, an amazing, beautiful place. And there's still wars. There's still rumors of wars. There's still going to happen. Jesus even promised that these are the signs of the end times. But regarding Israel, there, I mean, I suggest that everyone will read Ezekiel chapter 36, chapter 37, chapter 38, chapter 39. These are, these are the, cha- I call it, we live now in the days of Ezekiel. Mm. Literally. And so we must remember it's part of the word of God. God never canceled that part of the word. And we we know that if there is one thing that Jesus rebuked the two disciples on the way to Emmaus is that they were foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Mm. Interesting. Well, thank you, Margaret, for your patience and for the question for Amir today. Uh, we've had a call from John in Gawler in South Australia. John, thanks for your call. What's your question for Amir and Pastor Barry? Yeah, well, um, the, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Jonathan Safari. He actually works for Creation Ministries International. He's written a few books about like uh, refuting evolution, that sort of thing, and uh, in the Genesis record. Uh, there's probably a, rela- a distant relation. And... Uh, yeah, about the um, oh, the prophecies um, you find in um, like Ezekiel, Daniel, and uh, Asaph. Even I think some eighty-six, I think it might be. And um, yeah, the hundred forty-four thousand uh, witnesses in the end times. That's sort of really fascinating stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I really have an interest in prophecy. And uh, yeah, well, how about we just pick up yeah, on that as a as a point there, John? The hundred and forty four thousand. I mean, there is a little bit of uh, you know, misunderstanding with a lot of different people seeing that in different ways. How do you interpret the hundred? Well, you know, we 000? see them both in you know Revelation seven, Revelation fourteen, Revelation seven. They're being commissioned; those from the twelve tribes of Israel commissioned to obviously uh, be witnesses for the Lord, and they have the seal of God on their forehead. In Revelation 14, we see them already at the throne room. Uh, ha- after having been martyred, they they completed their job, and now they are uh, their souls in the presence of the Lord, singing to Him a new song that nobody could see, uh, un- know, and understand. Uh, my point is that um, in the in in the book of Revelation, from the moment the tribulation is being uh, described, chapter from chapter five and on, the church 
does not exist. The church is gone. The church will not go through the tribulation. And that is exactly why God is raising 144,000 Jews. Is exactly why he's bringing two witnesses. And it's exactly why there will be that heralding angel that proclaiming the everlasting gospel. So these are the, the substitute to the only job the church has right now, which is to you know preach the gospel mm. uh, all the way to the whole world. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's why there is no way that uh, the nation of Israel will be annihilated and the Jewish people will be extinct because they still have a job and a task even throughout the tribulation. Mm, interesting. Well, thank you, John, for your question. We'll try to get through a few of these because we've got uh, quite a few people uh, waiting uh, to speak to you. Sterling is rung through from Ararat in Victoria. What's your question, Sterling? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Look, um, after Solomon died, the uh, kingdom got split into two, and later on the northern kingdom was scattered, the scattered tribes. Um, Two-part question, where are those people now, and are they the remnant that God says he will call in in the end times? Yeah, well, those people are definitely uh, around scattered, as you as you know. But slowly, slowly, they make their way back to Israel. We we see people from the tribe of Dan, from the tribe of Menashe, Ethiopians coming, people coming from India and other places. God is bringing His people back to their land slowly, slowly, and uh, we we're watching it happening, and uh, it's it's just beautiful. Uh, and and I believe that the job is not done yet. We're not done yet, and Jews will still come back in greater numbers. And most likely, the greatest catalyst for the return of the Jews is not going to be uh, prosperous Israel, and and but it's going to be uh, persecution and uh, economic crisis and in anti-Semitism around the world that will cause them to return back home. And yes, this is another. Another way to understand that God is in the business of uh, fulfilling his plans for Israel. You know, throughout the last, uh, uh, you know, year and a half of uh, the war in Ukraine, I mean, it's a tragic war, but on, on the, at least if there is one good thing that we see out of it is the return of the Jewish people from Russia and Ukraine back to Israel. Mm. So even tragedies like that, we can see the hand of God and his plan is being executed no matter what. Yeah, interesting. Well, thanks again, Sterling, for your question. Let's uh, go to, uh, well, in fact, before that, yeah, Pastor Barry, you want to add something? Yeah, I think kind of combining a couple of the questions that we've had uh, recently, you go back to Genesis 3.18, or 15.18, I'm sorry, and you see that God made a covenant not just with the people and the descendants of Abraham, he made that covenant with the land. And that's why later that uh, Ezekiel would talk about the fact in chapter 38 that Every day that the Jews are outside of their national homeland, the Lord's name is profaned. And it's because of that that covenant with both the people and the land mm. that is a prophetic necessity that the Jews not only be residing within the boundaries of Israel, but also have possession of all of Jerusalem uh, for what is going to happen in the future with the building of the third temple and things of that nature. So, uh, again, what Amir's talking about, I think, is so important because this is the most significant prophetic event in church history. When the Jews became a nation again, and and as Isaiah said, will a nation be born in a day? Mm. And May 14th on our calendar, 1948, the Jewish people became a national people again and had a homeland. And so we are living in an age of sequential prophetic fulfillment that's marching toward the rapture of the church and then the tribulation that follows. So Mm. very important that we understand the connection between the regathering and the national homeland. Yeah, very good. 
Another question that I'll just throw in here, just picking up on something you just said, Barry, and that's regarding you know our calendar. Obviously, there is a Jewish calendar as well. I believe that we're in the year 5,700 and somewhat on the Jewish calendar. Um, do you believe that uh, the Jewish calendar is something to be watching or taking note of in some way um, in relation to the you know, end-time events? Well, I, I don't count the years, but the calendar is for the most part, playing an important role in when it comes to the festivals and the new moons. And I think that, uh, you know, just as the four fall, uh, excuse me, spring festivals were fulfilled in, in their chronological way in the time of Jesus, I believe that the last three festivals will be fulfilled in a chronological way in the return of Jesus back to earth. And so he will come back on the Feast of Trumpets for the people of Israel. They will repent when they see him, and that's the Yom Kippur, and they will, after accepting him, enter into the Millennial Kingdom, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. So I do believe the importance of understanding the calendar for the sake of understanding the festivals that he prescribed. And and God actually was very angry at what Israel turned these festivals, Newmans, and Sabbath into. I mean, you know, if you want to understand the level of frustration of God from what they turn it into, go to Isaiah chapter 1. But God has prescribed those festivals because that was a blueprint of his plan of salvation for Israel and for the whole world. And so for that matter, I would say, yes, it's important to pay attention to that. Now, a lot of Christians are looking into the Feast of Trumpets as the potential time for the rapture of the church. I will say the calendar of the Jewish people has to do with the Jewish people and with how God is dealing with the Jewish people. So I wouldn't necessarily connect the rapture of the church to any of the Jewish festivals because the the, the rapture is a, a day that no one knows the day and the hour. But when it comes to the second coming, when Jesus will come back to earth with us, not for us, that's when the latter three festivals will be fulfilled. Mm. So it's always good to to look at that and understand that God has prescribed those things. You know, Colossians two says uh, that um, the Sabbaths, the moon, the new moons, and the festivals these are all the shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Yeah, good point. And I, we should mention, of course, that the Feast of Trumpets is this weekend. Exactly. So. <laughs> yes, I think this is an opportunity. I like that question or comment because. It allows uh, the opportunity to maybe do a little housekeeping because there's a lot of people that will take the fact that we're in 57, 68, or whatever it is, and and look at that and try and create an equation from that based on the Jewish lunar calendar, 30-day cycles. And the interesting thing that often happens is people look at what Peter said in Second Peter 3, 9, that the day, uh, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years a day, and they try and create some kind of equation calculating you know, the fact that the the 7,000th year when we enter into that time period or, or move beyond the f- original 6,000 years on the lunar calendar, that all of a sudden, you know, now here we are in the millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Peter's just making an observation that God dwells outside of time. He's not giving us a calculation to yes. determine when all this is going to happen. And that's something I hear that all the time. That's a question that comes up all the time. Well, what do you think about, you know, the thousand years a day equation? Well, it's not an equation. Yeah. It's simply an illustration. Yeah, good point. Let's get to some more questions. We've, uh, we're, we're rapidly running out of time here, but uh, let's try uh, Pete in Victoria. Thanks for your call and your question. What would you like to ask? Uh, just quickly, um, Amir, you said that the uh, governing, uh, uh, that the uh, media in Israel is owned by powerful people. 
sadly, many people forget that the secular media is not the law, and therefore those who claim to be believers in the Lord Jesus should have the confidence to boldly stand for the authority of the Bible. The governing authorities need to be reminded what Romans 13 teaches. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and that the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, Israel and international government leaders have a duty under Christ to uphold God's word. Okay, well, that's well, I, a statement. I wish it was. A question, a, <laughs> I wish it was the the case. I wish it was the truth. Um, uh, but you know, all over the world. By the way, whatever goes on in Israel is not an anomaly. It goes all over the world. Even here in Australia, look, uh, I, I see the the powerful um, uh, struggles between uh, you know the 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 progressive liberals and the conservatives. I see that all across Europe. I see that, of course, in the United States of America. And for the most part, in most countries on planet Earth, the media is the fortress of the liberal progressive left. It's always been so. And they, they knew that from the very beginning that if, if, if they want to preserve their power, they need to preserve uh, the ability to reach to the masses. And that's when they are behind uh, the biggest newspapers and the biggest TV channels. And we see that in Israel as well. Um, I never you know, thought that I'll get to the day when I will forbid my family from watching the three main channels because it is clearly a you know propaganda brainwashing machine that um, is just contradicting even reality. It's like, uh, and that's what I say: psychosis, mass formation, psychosis. They created a parallel reality where things are falling apart. Whereas in the real reality, Israel is prospering. Israel is thriving. Israel, I mean, our economy has never been in a better shape than it is right now. And, and yet they feed the public that everything is falling apart. Therefore, we have to go out. We have to topple the government. Every, it's all political. It's all uh, it's a way to preserve power. And um, you know what? Uh, we can see through all mm. of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left. We'll quickly grab one last call before... Uh, we wrap uh, up our uh, talkback time, but uh, Lawrence has called through from uh, Western Australia. Lawrence, thank you for your patience. What's your question? Uh, yes, what's the purpose of the literal millennium compared to the other way the millennium is interpreted, i.e. from Christ's, refer- Christ's resurrection to the second coming and then comes the judgment? Yeah, I think the uh, the important thing for us to recognize is that the Bible doesn't tell us the purpose of the millennium. So there's a certain element of speculation that's calculated, I believe, that we can make based on the fact that God, throughout the course of history, has been trying to reach mankind. And what follows the millennium is the great white throne judgment. And, and uh, the reason I think it's important to point that out is because, one, for the first time in the history of the world, this place is going to be run right. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to rule from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. There will be justice. Uh, there will be fair judgment. Uh, matters will be decided quickly and decisively. Uh, one thing I think that everybody in the millennium will enjoy is there'll be no politics. There'll only be government. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, government, uh, the corruption of government is actually politics. And looking at this, and then we see at the very end 
when the the true king has ruled for a thousand years, the instant Satan is released to deceive, massive numbers of people in the world follow him instead of Jesus. Mm. So for me, what I, I think if we're going to come to a why of the millennium, that basically compete, uh, completes the loop. At that point in time, God will have done everything to reach mankind, including not just sending his son to die for the sins of the whole world, but sending him back to rule the whole world and judge it fairly and run it yes. the way it should have been run uh, the whole time. So in a sense, not that God needs to justify his behavior, but in a sense, it causes the great white throne judgment to, get, to make a lot more sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, good mm-hmm. point. Well, thank you, Lawrence, for your uh, question today and for all those that have called through with questions. We are out of time. Uh, just quickly before we wrap up, though, I wanted to ask you, Amir, uh, I believe next year is a, somewhat of a sabbatical year for you. What what does the future hold? What, what well, uh, are you planning I, for that? Yeah, the Lord really spoke to me that uh, next year, if we're still here, okay, <laughs> will be a very, very critical year with major events that uh, uh, will, you know, require me to stay home, be with my family, and also um, the need for accurate and reliable reporting from Israel. Because as you can see, the what we have now worth nothing. I mean, they will not give you the truth. They'll give you their position. And so I, I am about to build a, um, a center, a studio, and a place of broadcast from the Galilee overlooking the Jezreel Valley called Connect. I'm going to try to connect people with Israel, connect Israelis with the world, and connect the gospel and current events with, uh, you know, the, you know, with the people, uh, because people have hard time connecting the dots and bring in bringing some sense to what we see around the world and understanding that it is actually being uh, Bible fulfilled. So all of that is going to happen throughout 2024. I'll be in Israel, working in Israel, and you're actually going to see me and hear me much more than now because I won't be traveling and I won't be battling sleep uh, deprivation. I will actually (laughs) be there uh, and uh, I will uh, report, I will teach, and uh, I will uh, connect. Great. Okay. Well, watch this space. More uh, content coming from Amir Safadi yes. in the year ahead. Amir, thank you. Pastor Barry Stegner, thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you both with us on 2020. Thank Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.